the always controversial Milo Yiannopoulos has now done the most controversial thing that can be done. He's come out as ex-gay. With the help of the consecration to St. Joseph in this year of St. Joseph, he has managed to stop giving in to same-sex attraction and has been living a chaste life. He gave a blockbuster interview to LifeSite's Doug Mainwaring Wednesday, which went totally viral. Drudge Report carried it the UK Daily Mail, The Independent, and The New York Post, among many, many others. He spoke with me yesterday about his decision and his future. This is The John Henry Weston Show. You're going to want to stay tuned. Before we begin, let me remind you to go direct to LifeSiteNews.com to keep up with all of our video and news offerings. Go direct to LifeSiteNews.com and click on the subscribe button at the top right-hand side so you won't miss a beat of news on life, faith, family, freedom, and culture. Milo Yiannopoulos, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Let's begin, as we always do, with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Well, you had a stellar interview with Doug Mainwaring from LifeSite News that has really traveled the globe. It was on Drudge yesterday, and uh, it's been all over the place. Uh, we're hoping you're not getting too much negative feedback from that. <laughs> no, no, of course not. Um, uh, I, I uh, congratulate you on your timing. Um, you may or may not have known this, but there is a um, uh, a, a little... Um, conflagration happening on social media with regard to the idea of being super strict at the moment uh it's just sort of bubbling up from the uh the the re- deep dark recesses of the right-wing internet um and uh um so it, it was a happy accident that our interview kind of collided with with that and so it seems to have, seems to have traveled a long way so I, I hope it did well for you um it's uh it's been a long time coming from my end so uh, i've, I've Credit you with uh, credit you with intuiting good timing on that. Yeah, praise God. We we do regard things as providential like that. Um, and it it's funny because you're a very controversial character for most people. Um, really? Yes. Not so much for us though. Um, in in fact, you had sort of a Catholic understanding of many things. Uh, but of course, you had the same kind of idea, I guess, as St. Augustine did. Yeah, I, I want to be faithful, just not yet. But not yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember your interview with Michael Voris along those same lines. It was only two years ago. You said in that interview it would be five to ten years, and, and then you'd be in. I think anybody who's been reading me for a long time will, will have seen this coming. And it was 2015, 16 that I was giving college speeches saying Catholics are right about everything. Um, I think anybody who lives with integrity who believes what they say, um, and I do certainly aspire to that, um, at some point has to start walking the walk. And I have felt compelled in this direction for a long time. I have felt um, drawn. And when I made the decision, it was, as I said in the interview with you guys, uh, not easy, but simple. And the experience of it has been it was a line I was quite pleased with, um, not theatrical or or explosive or dramatic, which may be a sign in itself that my uh, homosexual impulses are receding, um, but but rather felt like an uncovering or um, an unsheathing or something. And it's tired to say that a cloud has been lifted. So I'll instead describe it as a veil being drawn back um, on my household 
uh, and it certainly feels the water feels a little clearer and crisper uh, this morning, if that makes sense. For for those of you who might not know, you are a sort of you're considered a very alt right spokesman and and uh, very controversial that way but also very much enamored or interested. The media was very interested in you because you presented as a homosexual man or a gay man, and you were in a same-sex relationship as well. How long did you live that lifestyle actively? I must be tiresome and just, you know, add a caveat to the alt-right label. It certainly used to mean something much more um, harmless than it does now. And when I wrote what I think was the most influential piece of political journalism in 2016, um, which was uh, an establishment conservatives guide to the alt-right for Breitbart, which I think pretty much everybody read in, the, in the, that election cycle. Um, I described it as, as something closer to simply nationalist Trumpism, you know. Um, so, so just to be clear on, on what we meant by that, sorry to be difficult. Um, as as the, your main question, it's taken me 36, 37 years to begin to break free from what I now recognize to be the symptoms of the fallout from childhood experiences. And I, th I think the central problem with trying to explain to people who have accepted the born this way propaganda, and I've always known it was that, but the central problem is explaining to them how it can be that something that they feel is a is a natural part of them can in fact be a cluster of symptoms from childhood abuse or from childhood um trauma let's say mm -hmm. trauma and i think when i when i really confronted myself with that reality things began to happen quite quickly for me and that i've always sort of known it but i've always also thought i guess that part of my superpowers were drawn from it. I've always thought of myself as a kind of creature of darkness who fights for the light, if that makes sense. Um, you know, and I sort of managed to leverage these things, which I, I you know, my, my, my brothers in arms can't or won't do. Uh, I can. But I reached a point with it where I could no longer do that um, authentically. And I, and I wasn't prepared to risk my immortal soul, if you like, to want to get get like that about it. I kind of felt like it, I, I'd gone as far as I could with that particular set of weaponry and that something different was being called for now and something different was being expected of me now. Once I really confronted myself with that, it all sort of fell into place quite quickly. And it was certainly very useful and powerful for me, you know, five years ago to, to, to do all of that. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't have the same resonance now. And I look at my creations. I look at Turning Point USA, Lady Marga, and, and entities like that. And they say all revolutionaries um, grow to hate their children, right? Um, uh, you know, I look at this. I look at what I created now, and I shudder in horror and grief, honestly. Um, and and I think that really, when I when I when I when I really confronted my own feelings about that, the path was obvious. You know. Um, there was no other way. So uh, it's not, it's, that's what I kind of what I mean by not easy, but simple. It's very interesting. You mentioned about the childhood traumas and so on. And uh, you yourself experienced one of, it is one of the most common traumas of 
people with same-sex attraction, that they were uh, abused as children or... In addition to overbearing mothers, which might be another component of uh, my own etiology. Uh, maybe that's why there are so many Jewish homosexuals. Um, I've, I've, I've often wondered about that. My mother is Jewish technically, so which makes me Jewish technically. Um, I've often wondered whether that's why there, are so, there seem to be so many Jewish gays. That, that's, that, that seems to be the two common factors, right? The two commonalities are, are you know, absent fathers or negative male role models and overbearing mothers, plus some kind of traumatic psychosexual event. Mm -hmm. These two things seem to come together to produce this. So uh, yeah, I, th I think I think that's right. And now, strangely, you, you said you've had a 36 journey, sort of even even recognizing that, you know, could be it and, and the fallout of that uh, might have led you in the directions that you were led. But such considerations today seem to be illegal. Um, people can't get help from people. Did you yourself get some help from someone uh, in, in terms of counseling or something uh, to, to come to this realization? Yes, I did. And I can't talk too much about this, but I intend to do what I can to provide that kind of help or to help. Uh, to uh, Let's just say I intend to spend a large portion of the rest of my life on um, helping to provide that kind of assistance to others. I'm British, so I, I have a natural aversion to anything approaching therapy. I think it's all complete nonsense and, 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 and BS. But uh, certainly, the, certainly the spiritual guidance of a good priest can help point you in the direction. You have to do all the work yourself. There's no, you know, like, don't, don't, don't get it twisted. You can't just buy, get an expensive therapist. They make everything much worse um you know all therapy is a lie and you know it's all it's all it's all just designed to i mean look just think of incentives right you know there's a re they're in the business of keeping you sick uh it's no different from no different from big pharma they're in the business of keeping you sick but priests aren't um and, and if you look at the incentives of, of people it's, it tends to guide you re relatively well to you know picking good help over bad help i did talk to two or three well three three people um two two of whom are priests uh, at length regularly for a long time and will continue to do so. My church going at the moment consists of sitting in the back thinking, you know, carefully and, and re-engaging in a light touch way. Uh, and I look forward to being able to, you know, participate more directly when I feel I'm ready for that. Uh, but I have been going to going to church more again, uh, once again, going been going back and I've been I've been getting a lot of um People seem to like me when they actually talk to me versus when they read headlines about me. So I've I've managed to I've managed to retain the services of a lot of uh, <laughs> influential, intelligent, helpful people who have been very anxious to to assist and to talk to me, which I've been very grateful for. I'm very lucky to have. There's a thing that it says in the scriptures about how uh, the angels in heaven rejoice more over one repentant sinner than over ninety nine just. And well, I don't know how many people will be rejoicing over my uh, uh, <laughs> over my U-turn, but I, I I'm getting the, the the sense that there are quite a lot of people on Earth rejoicing. Um, who knows about heaven? So yeah. I'm I'm certainly grateful for that and stunned. Actually, this is the this is the most this is the 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 this is the most in a sense it's the most if you want to put it like this, the most controversial thing I've ever done. Uh, um, but it's also uh, if you want to put it like that, I, I don't I don't know I don't know how I feel about that, but. Uh, it, it's also the thing about which I've received the most correspondence, I think, ever. Mm -hmm. And the great outpouring of people who have said, I've been praying for this, has been 
um, in that in that uh, awful phrase of American liberals, very humbling. Um, it, uh, it, it's, um, but it, it, it has, and, and you know, just to see bishops tweeting prayers for me has been um, a little uh, shocking for me, I suppose, as somebody who was wandered into homosexuality, I think initially out of feelings of not being good enough in the first place. Um, <laughs> it's been a, it's been a particularly uncomfortable like you know it's made me squirm a little bit as somebody who does not feel as though they deserve that level of attention or, or whatever um, it's been the most eye-opening experience of my life already and it's only been going on 56 hours or whatever <laughs> not, not not really not i mean not in my real life but you know publicly speaking uh it's it's definitely the most honest thing I've ever done and probably the thing that I have done that I will be the most pleased with or grateful for in the long run so thank you for for helping in with, with that <laughs> I don't know your, your, your guy your guy Doug just wrote to me in just the right way at just the right time and and so many things happen like that that you're just like all right thanks <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know uh, all right, I, I hear you okay <laughs> you know? uh so yeah that's 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 what happened wasn't planned but but yeah <laughs> Well, it is it is really neat too because I think a lot of that rejoicing in heaven type of thing happens uh, to the faithful as well. They they look because you're a public figure, you're seen, um, but more so than the sort of uh, shallow. Oh yes, we finally got one of the popular guys on our side. It, it's not that. It's it's more like a a rejoicing that someone we've been praying for. I have to tell you, we've been praying for you at LifeSite as well. Um, but you know that you've come to the truth and embraced it in a way. And it's also spectacular for us in that you've done it through the intercession of St. Joseph, whose feast we celebrate this year. And uh, that's just such a, a joy for us because it is the feast of St. Joseph, or the, the year of St. Joseph. And also you've done it through um, the uh, same book that I think many, many of us uh, have gone through. I just finished that same consecration myself and now I'm into the consecration to Our Lady, which ends March 25th. So tell us a little bit about that devotion to St. Joseph that you started, why'd you start it and how it's going now? Yeah. So I, I, I spoke today with Father Calloway. And he's um, he's a, a fun guy and very lively and, and combative and, and rambunctious and all the rest of it. So he's he's the kind of priest that appeals to me, you know. Uh, and um, a friend brought it to me and said, maybe this is it, it, it's it's just you know you 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 think of your you like to think of yourself as a as a rational, science based logical kind of person. And then there are these moments where everything just seems to hang together so perfectly and to align so beautifully. And it was just, it was just a, a friend came to me and said, I think that we should do this. And I, I thought about it and I thought, well, I've always felt like a bit of an imposter talking about those kinds of subjects. And especially when it tends in, when it, when it veers into prayer. But I thought at the same, by the same token, um, if I do this publicly, what I've learned about the way that, that the internet works is you know people kind of ignore it ignore it ignore it and then when they realize you're serious about it on like day six suddenly it 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 blows up you know which rewards kind of regularity and commitment which is no bad thing i have for my whole career been consumed with with concern and fascination and frustration with the gender identity madness with masculinity and with 
the you know the the loss of men from the church you know the the influx of of unrepentant sodomites i suppose i should call them now uh among the clergy uh and whatnot and and i i felt as though as an entry point into this way of living that saint joseph was kind of the perfect point of commonality with all of the things that have preoccupied me professionally and spiritually as you know the patriarch as the spiritual father as you know the the head of the holy family as you know and 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 i know that a lot of people have come to if you talk to nuns or you talk to priests and you're you know a philanderer or they sense that you spend a lot of time in the gym or you are in some other way have some sort of runaway sexual appetite as a man they will often often encourage you to come to christ through saint joseph because of you know his his perfect representation of um virtuous masculinity and of the heroic manly virtues you know being a provider a protector um uh being you know the 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 sensitive and loving and pious but strong protective head of the family that's what i've always aspired to be professionally to the disaffected young men that i've always been speaking to through my journalism whether i'm talking about men who give up on women and you know and disappear into porn and video games or whether it's gamergate the you know whatever or whether it's even whether it's it's um uh the trump stuff which is which you know all of the trump meme you know magic was driven by disaffected young men a lot of the same people who are now looking for spiritual answers because there's this huge religious revival among young conservatives at the moment who unfortunately are looking at the catholic church and seeing a sick you know corrupted degenerate institution and saying nope uh and and instead you know looking east and 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 getting drawn into you know the eastern orthodox church and it's well close enough um I felt that he was the perfect person for me to, 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 to do this with publicly because it just seemed to be very congruent with how I feel about what's lacking in the world and what I would like to see more of from myself. Um, so that, that's, 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 I don't know if that's a very good answer, but it, 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 lots, of, lots of discordant wind chimes kind of you know, lined up for me. Uh, and, that's, that it just, and, and then a friend just sort of said, shall we do this thing? um and i said and i thought about it and i said uh yes yes we should do this thing you're always a conundrum for liberals because everyone says not to proselytize for me too for me too <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> there's your friend with perfect proselytization um wanted to ask you about well we'll take it from where you were just speaking about you were speaking about young disaffected men looking to the catholic church and seeing a horror show and turning to the east or whatnot i i pray that you're going to be some kind of um uh, remedy for that too but you also wrote a book a couple of years ago um diabolical how pope francis has betrayed clerical abuse victims like me and why he's got to go uh, <laughs> you you did have a flair for the uh, dramatic in, in your headlines but i mean it's i guess very accurate what what can you say about that and what do you say about that now post um uh, kind of conversion in a way i consider the cover-up systematic purposeful deliberate cover-up on an industrial scale of abuses to be equal in magnitude in, in magnitude and moral horror to the abuses themselves which is a big thing to say which will upset a lot of people but um 
Pope Francis has now, it is a matter of record, been responsible for some of those cover-ups. This is a situation, this is a, a, a uniquely awful situation in which there it's no longer a case of whispers, but a case of known objective fact that the heir to St. Peter's lost his moral and spiritual authority by rehabilitating Theodore McCarrick, by um, perpetuating in the cover-up uh, and, and, uh, and, and, uh, and in lies about clerical abuse, in um, defending priests who describe victims as hysterical, as, you know, all the rest of it, um, the stuff he did as an archbishop, just unspeakable. I'm very uncomfortable with a lot of what he's done to pander to the press in terms of this sort of Peronist power for its own sake, I'll say whatever it takes to make me popular. Um, Wishy-washy, you can never really nail down what I mean because I keep saying these ambiguous accidental things off the cuff. Um, you know, uh, I'm very uncomfortable with that method of um, public relations. And I'm very uncomfortable with what it has done for the reputation of the church. I'm very uncomfortable with it spiritually. I'm uncomfortable with him. But the thing that he does that rises to the level of being plainly unforgivable are the multiple instances of complicity that we have seen from Pope Francis when it comes to covering this stuff up. You could accuse John Paul II of naivety. You could accuse Benedict of, I think, and I love, I love the man, but you know, so I don't say this with any pleasure. But I think you could accuse him of looking the other way for a bit too long and then bombing out before, you know, before he had to deal with it. Um, and I, and I don't think there's much um, honor to be found in looking the other way. I, I think that that strikes me as 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 cowardice. But I think the guy, you know, is a is a theologian, not really a a, a born leader per se. Um, but there is evil of a different order when we consider Pope Francis and the things that he we know he has done. The China arrangement, to the extent that we know the facts, where he, as far as we understand, uh, rehabilitated his, you know, pedophile friend, um, sent him to China, naturally, rather than staying at the Ritz-Carlton, he stays in seminaries, um, sent him to China to do a deal with a regime that operates concentration camps in which the Catholic Church basically endorsed a schismatic church and handed over the reins of, of, uh, of, of, uh, of picking bishops to, uh, you know, this evil authoritarian regime. In exchange, it now seems obvious, for money. I mean, who knows if the details will ever will ever fully come out and um, we should you know we should place that place plenty of caveats on what we're saying you know in terms of you know, there's, there, but there's good reporting on this and there's real reporting on this and there are there you know we know there we know enough even though we don't know everything to know that there are such deep and horrifying problems with this pope we're in an impossible situation as catholics we can't want him to resign because if we do that and we have two popes in a row resigning, the papacy becomes a political appointment. We will begin to see the emergence of factions and ultimately political parties, you know, among cardinals, which would be a catastrophe. 
by the same token, we can't wish the guy dead, even though we might have, you know, those dark fantasies we have to control in ourselves. We certainly can't wish for him to, you know, as we wouldn't wish for anybody to come to misfortune, but we're in an impossible situation where the only right answer seems to be to ride out the storm. But I, I hold this Pope personally responsible for a lot of the worst things that have happened in the church politically to do with abuse um, and also, you know, China. He is personally responsible for enough wickedness in this church that I, I quake for the future of the magisterium uh, if he does, if he, if he's not replaced relatively soon. Right. Well, we can do one thing still. We can still pray for his conversion, and we do that at LifeSite every day. You said unforgivable, and um, I don't know if you really meant that, because... No, I don't. But yeah. No, I don't. But um, but, but I, I think that um, it's okay to use uh, casually, casually speaking. I, I think if he, if he were to... Unlikely to be forgiven is perhaps more accurate, since I don't think that the man is capable of the kind of introspection self-awareness and contrition that would be necessary for you know for real forgiveness i don't think the man is prepared or remotely willing or motivated to admit what he's done wrong and attempt to make it right uh i think that he will continue to get away with whatever he can get away with for as long as he can get away with it until he is in a coffin um and and so i, I think perhaps more accurately it's more accurate to say um that he's he's unlikely to be forgiven Makes me sad. I mean, I'm on. I'm. I'm. I'm on. A, I'm on a. I like to think of myself as on a on a on a, a better path now. Although I think of myself as as you know, think of myself as a man with great talents and correspondingly great flaws. Um, and and that's a complicated and difficult place to live. But I expect better from my church. Um, and when I am speaking on college campuses with more vigor and vim and even fire and brimstone about abortion than any bishop in the United States has ever spoken in public about abortion, I expect better. I expect a lot better. And the funny part is, here you are still in the church. You've looked at the most horrific things in the church um, and you describe a lot of people, young men, having looked at it and left and run maybe the other way, yet you've not only stayed, you've embraced it in a more real way even even now. Well, things don't stop being true just because um, <laughs> just because the you know the church is, is in a bad place. It's in a bad way. Um, I mean, let's face it, the church has always been in a bad way. This is the rickety arc on which we we sail, right? And there are, beautiful, brand new 300 foot gleaming white yachts everywhere around us with pretty girls and hot tubs and champagne. And it would be easy for us to dive off and, and, and go to one of them. But after the tempest, after the storm, after um, the hurricane, this rickety, you know, stinking, hideous looking arc is the only one that will still be afloat. Uh, and, you know, you only have to look, I think people with short memories sometimes, um, uh, you know, the, they get caught up in the hysteria. And that's certainly something that anyone involved in American politics is, is vulnerable to. I mean, you only have to look back to the Borgias and the Medicis to realize that the papacy has always been a mess. <laughs> the Catholic Church has always been a mess, but somehow it endures. And I think the only way that it could possibly endure is that it, it, it for all of its 
grievous faults envelops a truth that can never really be suffocated, a light that can't be extinguished, if you like. And um, that's the only thing that keeps it afloat. And it doesn't really deserve to be afloat, but it is it is afloat because of the truth that it it holds in in trust. Um, and this is you know that that I guess makes the you know makes Pope Francis a lot more endurable. One of the things that um, you're going to be hated for now, on top of everything else, is that you're proving a lie to the um, to the falsehood that that uh, you're you're proving it's a lie that you can't change. Um, and I know you're on a journey, and uh, I know you're counting days, which which I think is is a great way for accountability, nonetheless, uh, public accountability even. But also, you've you've said that uh, you speaking of it works, you might hope to help with that um, conversion therapy as as uh, it's called by the media. How would you think to do that? We call it reparative therapy mm-hmm. in, the, in the land of the living. Much of this is, you know, nothing different from what I've been saying and what I have known for a long time. For those of your readers and viewers who don't know, born this way, we, what we might call the Gaga, the Lady Gaga doctrine of homosexuality, um, is not science, it's public relations. When you look back to the 80s and 90s and the religious right were describing homosexuality as a sinful lifestyle choice. Now, the idea there is the idea behind a lot of what we talk about. We talk about sin, loving the sinner and hating the sin. This concords, by the way, very closely and neatly with modern psychology, which sees people as um, messy bundles of competing desires and drives, and which prefers to, to to see people as what they do and how they act rather than what they are. So um, this is why sometimes on forms you will see, instead of gay men, you'll see men who have sex with men, right? Um, Which is a very kind of clunky, modern, awkward way of saying that we prefer to think of people now as what they do, right? Um, There was a really clever response to this, a response that worked, from the gay lobby and from the left in the 80s and 90s, they said, well, okay, well, if this is a sinful lifestyle choice, well, we can't really beat them on their own terms because they kind of got the sin thing like down. And, and so what do we do? Well, we'll say that it's like being black or like being a woman. It's what you are. You're born like it. So we'll invent this thing called the gay gene and we'll say that you're born this way so that anybody who criticizes or, or seeks to help you out of this way of life, um, it's just a bigot. They're just a hateful bigot. They're basically the same as a racist. Quite brilliant. And it worked. The problem is that it's not true. And what we know for sure about sexuality is fairly thin on the ground, partly because for the last 30 years, it's been almost impossible to do honest research about the origins, about the etiology of homosexuality, unless you're already begging the question by saying you're going in search of the gay gene or whatever. What we know for sure is that people can be born with a variety of different predispositions. Some people are born with a heavy, strong predisposition toward homosexuality. Some people are born with none. And no matter what happens to them in adolescence, they're just never going to be gay. Other people, almost anything could happen, and they will probably end up that way. Almost everybody else is somewhere in the middle. And what we know for sure is that scientifically, 
and spiritually is that it's a mixture of nature and nurture and that for everybody that the the calculus is, is slightly different what we are on the verge of being sure of is that both the nature and the nurture are necessary conditions which is to say the element of sexual orientation which is environmental which is based on nature and not nurture can be unraveled there's a base there's a scientific sound basis for reparative therapy when you understand which is the scientific consensus that sexual orientation is a mixture of nature and nurture and that these two things are both necessary conditions what does that mean it means that the trauma that produced this set of symptoms that produced this behavior can be addressed can be if you like put to bed and that even though somebody may have lifelong predispositions that they can at least not give in to them and at best even live a full life in the other direction um, i have discovered this by living it i have discovered it because i am somebody who has uh let's say a surfeit of self-awareness compared to most people um and i understand how difficult it is for it's my curse and my boon you know having having this this great self-reflection um it's very difficult to tell people who have been utterly persuaded by culture that not only is this part of them um it's a huge part of them it should define their personality they should locate their self-esteem in it they should build their character around it and there's nothing they can do to change it it's just who they were born as it's enormously difficult to try to then persuade that person that in fact what you're describing is a set of symptoms to trauma it's like a scab that must heal which you can't, which can't heal if you keep flicking it off but that's what it is and that's something that i think i have a gift as a as a communicator and as a i don't want to presume to call myself a teacher of any kind but i think as somebody who is persuasive and is listened to and and people people seem to go away and think about what i say um i think that that i can help more people come to realize that and if i can that i should uh and i think that i have a moral responsibility to do that one of the things in your uh, interview and uh, your current situation is that uh, your your former partner who was uh, you were involved with um is still living with you a lot of people might say oh that's kind of dangerous is it not um but out of some real concern sometimes not just uh, well yeah no no and, and i understand that i think um I think I'm right in saying that the church would say if you discover that you are in a marriage that is not in fact valid, that the appropriate thing to do is to consider is to to live together as brother and sister. Yeah. Obviously, it's not directly comparable, but living as brothers is the best way that I can describe what is happening to me. And if that becomes a problem, then it's a problem that will be remedied. Are you willing to like you're obviously willing to give up so much? You knew you know you're gonna get it for this from the left uh and, and from the right, strangely from the Republican right that will come for you because they have made a happy medium between being fiscally conservative but pro-LGBT. Even even Trump himself uh pushed in that direction. Oh, he's always loved the gays. Um <laughs> he's like he's a, Trump loves the gays. He's he's an entertainer. He likes entertaining people. I mean, it's no, no great surprise. Uh they don't scare me. Right. 
Nobody's scared. Nothing scares me. I mean, look, I'm British. You understand this as, you know, I think you're in Toronto, right? So you have like one foot in the empire and one foot in America. Well, me too. And um, sorry, we're supposed to say Commonwealth these days. I view American public life with a healthy sense of ironic detachment. And I am not intimidated or scared or, uh, <laughs> or, or, or put off by fulminating, you know, uh, national review writers, well, not national review anymore, commentary or whatever, you know, these, these supposedly influential Washington, like, they just, they don't mean anything to me. They're not real to me. They're, they're, they're just another form of, of, of Sprite. They're just, they're just more demons on level 27 to, you know, to take out before you can ascend to the next level of the game. <laughs> um, that's, that's, they're, they're, they're sometimes well-intentioned and sometimes not, but they're all misled and misleading and they don't intimidate me. They don't scare me because I don't, I don't allow myself to take them seriously. Um, not to say that they're not fearsome adversaries ideologically, they run the world after all. Um, but I don't take them seriously morally. I don't, I'm not intimidated by them. And I certainly won't allow the kind of um, revolting hypocrites of the type that run the Lincoln Project to be, and these are the same people, by the way, who orchestrated the right-wing hit job on me five years ago. Um, the exact precise same people who did that to me are covering for this guy, you know, fiddling with the young boys, right? These people are grotesque, odious hypocrites who deserve to be ridiculed um, uh, out of public life. And that's how I treat them. Nothing that Jonah Goldberg or, um, you know, Ben Shapiro or any of these people say has the power to affect me emotionally or spiritually or, or, or whatever, because they're not real people that, you know, they don't show their real selves to the, to, to the world. And I know this and I have insight. This is why they find me so dangerous, because when you do grow up with the aforesaid sinful urges, you learn quickly to sort of fracture yourself, to present different versions of yourself to different people in order to get along, to get by, to survive, you know? You grow up in a very religious environment and you have these urges. You know there's certain things you shouldn't say or do around certain people. And you, you, your personality becomes like a, like a Nordic pantheon god who has different aspects, you know, uh, who can be incarnated in different ways. So it's the same essence, but looks completely different in different stories or whatever, you know, like Odin appears as whatever. You know that you can't do this over the dinner table at home, but you can do it in the CD club in, you know, in whatever. I see them for what they are. I see these people for the frauds they are. And I see that they are not showing the world who they really are. I know what these people are because I used to do it too. Um, and that's why they don't frighten me, because they're not real. They're not real. And that's why they shouldn't frighten you. These people fulminating on Twitter, the Rick Wilsons of the world, you know, the, the Republican strategist people, um, you know, the, the, the anybody who works at the Daily Wire pretty much, uh, you know, these people don't frighten me because they're not real. One of the things you mentioned is that they do have power, some of the most powerful people in the world. Do you feel 
that with what you've done now, you've sort of found the pearl of great price. Should they be able to strip almost everything from you, including perhaps even your life? Would that change your opinion? Would that make you reconsider what you're doing? No, of course not. They already have. They've taken everything. I used to earn millions of dollars a year. Like, you know, now now I'm renting a terrace house. Like, they've already taken it all. I don't care. And in fact, the the less I have, I mean, I still have a lot. I'm still a lucky person. I'm still, you know, whatever. I can still fit their apartments in my pool, you know, back home in London. But, you know, like what I mean, what I mean to say really is, the less I have that I'm attached to, the more powerful I feel because the less they have on me, you know? Um, I, I, and, and they've already done all that. What, what's left? What are you gonna do? Destroy my reputation, done. Uh, impoverish me, done. Uh, Deplatform me, done. Uh, you know, like what else is there? They have no power over me. And in many ways, as the most sensitive and deplatform person in the world, I'm also the freest person in the world, which comes with its own new set of peculiar responsibilities and challenges. But I can say anything. I can say anything. And, and so great is the consensus to blacklist me and pretend that I don't exist on the right and the left. I can do anything. They won't even report on it. You won't see it anywhere. I could say anything. I could do anything. I could become the hateful racist bigot that, that the left has been calling me. They won't even report on it now because saying my name, you see these people are, this is how you know they're, how you know that they're servants of darkness. They believe in spells. They believe in magic. Saying my name is casting a spell that they don't want to cast, right? This is how they view the invocation of certain people's um, names as casting spells. They don't want to give me power by saying my name. That's what cancel culture is. It's magic. It's, it's about banning certain spells. That's what cancel culture is. Um, so great is the... This is like the ultimate, this is the, 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 the witch's council, you know, has a, has a charm on the world. If anybody uses this spell, they're immediately notified and they all show up at the front door to kill the witch. That's what I have on me, right? That's what there is attached to my name. Nobody will dare speak it. And that's enormously powerful because it gives me breathing room to tell the truth <laughs> to, say, to say what i want to say i don't have to watch my words i can't get an agent and i never will again i can't get a pr company and i never will again i can't get anything and i never will again so i don't have to worry about anything i can just tell the truth yeah and so i've spent the last five years in in sort of you know semi-enforced semi on purpose retirement uh thinking about what my next chapter is going to be and it is now emerging to me. It's now becoming clear. And it's just now, just now, just as I'm finally, and it's no consequence and no accident, I'm sure. No coincidence is what I mean. No coincidence that just as things are becoming clearer for me spiritually and personally, that things are becoming clearer for me professionally too. And so this time out that I have spent um, semi on purpose, semi enforced, has been exactly the right thing to do because now I have my next chapter, which in, in many ways makes me more terrifying and dangerous and powerful than ever before, because it strikes straight at the heart of the, you know, global homo establishment, whatever. This is, in a way, much more threatening to them than anything I've ever done before. 
saying to them, I'm going to take your toys away. These heterosexual, liberal white women who are the root of all madness in America, they're the ones who make gay pride a thing. They're the ones who make drag queen story hour a thing. These lonely housewives who want a gay best friend. It's, it's, it's straight white liberal women who have ruined America. And those are the people, I'm going to take your toys away. I'm going to take your gay best friends away. And that is so much worse than anything I've ever done to them before. <laughs> um, but that's what's coming and that's what's happening. And I'm pushing it against an open door because as maligned and as, um, as maligned and as ridiculed as reparative therapy is, the demand for it has never been greater. And especially among young men, especially among Gen Z, right? And I have a moral responsibility to be at the heart of it. So that's, that's, that's the next five, 10 years of my life. That, that is awesome because now with it being illegal, um, there's a new rebellion uh, that can be had. Makes it, it only makes it more fun. It does. It does. <laughs> Milo Yiannopoulos, I'm very happy to say your name. Thank you for being with us in this episode of the John Henry Weston Show. Thank you. And God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. And God bless all of you. And we'll see you next time. Hi, this is John Henry Weston, the co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSite News. I'm coming to you today because we want to be sure that we're communicating clearly with you, our loyal followers. Things are really heating up, as I'm sure you can see. Christians, conservative truth-tellers are being targeted, are being banned from social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram at an alarmingly fast rate. They are attempting to suppress any narrative that does not fit that of the mainstream media. We knew this day would come. We have been warning everyone who would listen and attempting to build up alternative platforms to continue to reach you. We have established ourselves on all sorts of platforms I'm going to explain in a minute, but the most important thing to do is come direct to LifeSiteNews.com because there we will always be. But we've also established ourselves on platforms like Parler and MeWe, and our videos can be found on Rumble as well. We would love to see each of you on those platforms too, as they are not censoring or suppressing the truth that we are sharing every single day. More than these alternative social media platforms, we highly encourage you to subscribe to our email newsletter. We have really built up a large list of loyal readers on our email marketing platform, and we have prepared several backup plans for, well, I want to say if, but it's really when, we are removed from our current platform as well. Additionally, I really encourage you, as I said before, to make it a regular habit to go directly to lifesitenews.com. Make it your homepage. While all of these different platforms are an excellent way to curate your news, going directly to our website means that you will never encounter any censorship or sudden loss of LifeSite News reporting. Here's the thing. We will never stop sharing the truth. We founded this organization with the mission to be the life, family, and culture source for men and women who seek to know the truth. We have established a track record of honest reports, and this will never stop, even with censorship happening around the globe. Again, I'm encouraging you to join us on Parler, MeWe, Rumble, and on our email list. You can find all the direct links in the description of this video. May God bless you and keep you. 
and we are so thankful that you've chosen to follow and support LifeSite News. I'm John Henry Weston, co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSite News.